series that we started last week, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. And it's um, page 1024. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realised that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Chris. Good morning. How are you? Good. My name's Matt. I'd like to add my welcome to Chris's. Um, And I am here today. So it's it's good to be here. It's good to be here with you. You're here today. It's great to have you here. Uh, Keep that passage open because we're going to have a look at it this morning. Um, How are you preparing for Christmas? I'm sure you've started. How are you preparing? I imagine there's some gifts that you've bought for some special people in your life. Uh, Maybe a ham has been ordered or maybe you're on the prawns. Have you got your order in? It's time. 
Uh, I imagine maybe you're decorating the house. Naomi and I and Leif, he didn't really help, but we put up our Christmas tree yesterday. It's a bit of a makeshift one this year, but gets us into the season. How are you preparing for Christmas this year? Um, I want to, this morning, with you, look at this passage and re-examine Christmas. Take a fresh look at Christmas. Actually see how some people prepared for Christmas so that we might learn something about how we can prepare ourselves. Um, and I want to notice a few things as we take a fresh look at Christmas this morning. I want us to notice a few things about Christmas. The first is where Christmas happens. The second is where Christmas is from. Where does Christmas come from? Uh, the third is who Christmas is for. What happens at Christmas? Or what's Christmas all about? And then finally, like I mentioned, we're going to have a look at how you can prepare for Christmas even better than maybe you already have. So firstly, where is Christmas? Where does Christmas happen? Have a look at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. Have a look at verse 5. This is the first sentence, basically, in Luke's gospel. The first sentence in his story about Christmas. Verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Notice this is not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Who's excited about the movie coming out? I'm excited. This is not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And this is not once upon a time. This is in the time of Herod, king of Judea. This is a historical signature. Luke is placing his story in events in human history, in our history, in our time and place or in another time and place, but in our world. This is our world. This is not somewhere else. This is in, in Palestine, in the Middle East. Herod the Great was a, Rome, a Jewish ruler from Rome in 37 to 4 BC. He was given his commission to rule over the Jewish people by Mark Antony and the Roman, centri- uh, the Roman Senate in 40 BC. He's described as the king of Judea because that was his job. And where do we learn this from? We learn it from history, people like Josephus, a Roman and Jewish historian. And we learn it from the Gospel of Luke. And if you put all the data together, we get a time. We know that this happens towards the end of Herod's reign, around 4 BC. Luke's point is this. Christmas is in your world. Christmas happens in our world. Let's have a look at the next line. He's going to keep unwrapping this for us. Uh, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Some strange names here, some strange jobs. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, a family tree there. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now we have another context in which to put this story. Not just a time, not just a place, but a people, the Jewish people. This is the story of the Jews. Christmas is coming to them. You know, I remember often thinking, why did Jesus come in when he did? 
at the time and place that he did. You know, why didn't he come in our day when there's video cameras and YouTube so that everyone could have seen him? Download his latest message, something like that. Or why didn't he come right at the beginning of the story when everything went wrong so he could fix up the world right then? Have you ever thought? The answer is, is because the Jewish people, with all their background and all their history and all their prophecies, give this beautiful backdrop to help us understand who Jesus is. So when he comes and when he's revealed as the Son of God, we don't go, ah, oh, this is another Buddha or this is a god of war or the god of the sea. No, this is the Jewish God, the one and only God. This is the God who created the world, who made a covenant with his people, the God who saves his people time and time and time again, a God of love, a God of grace. This is who he is. He stands in that context so that we can know him. And so when he claims to be the Son of God, we know he's connected to a story. There's another element that makes this story a human story, a story that fits into our world, that reminds us that Christmas is for our world. Have a look at verse 7. Talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. This is a very human story. Perhaps you can relate. These are good people and yet the tragedy is that even though they wanted children, they could never have them and now they're too old. It's a human story, a story of suffering and pain. The point, Luke's point is, Christmas is our story. It's a story about our world. It's an event that took place on earth. And it took place here because it's for us. It happened on earth because it's for earth. The second thing to notice about Christmas is that Christmas is for earth, but Christmas is from another place. Christmas is from another place. It's from another world. Have a look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now I know when Christmas comes around and the Christmas Bible readings come around and you hear stories of angel, it, angels, it feels just quite ordinary, doesn't it? What I want you to remember is this is a story in our world. And if this is a story, if this is a story that's in our world with gravity, with kings and queens, with political issues, with good people, with brokenness and barrenness of life, then an angel is the last thing you'd expect to happen. This is supernatural. This is not natural. This is not normal. And more than an angel, there's something else. Uh, there's the first thing where Zachariah's mouth is stopped. He can't talk. There's this little miracle of that. But then there's another miracle later on. There's the physical manifestation of what the angel said would happen. There's evidence of this angel and this angel's message. A barren man and a barren woman who are very old conceive. They fall pregnant. 
And more than that, where is this angel and this miracle from? Have a look at verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Christmas is not from earth. It's not an earthly story. Christmas is from another place. It's from heaven. It's from God himself. Why does this matter to this Christmas story? Isn't the Christmas story a good story even if the angel wasn't real? Or if, you know, the miracle didn't really happen and it was just some natural phenomenon that they had this baby? And the being sent from God thing, that's just a nice way to write the story. Why does it matter? It matters because it means something in our world can actually change. It means something is going to happen to us that we couldn't do for ourselves. We need a little bit of help sometimes, don't we? It means this is the start of something big, the start of something bigger than all our hopes and dreams. And in that context, the Jewish context, it's the fulfillment of the promise of all promises. You see, in the Old Testament, God doesn't give the world all the answers to all our questions. But he does offer to give us himself. And this, if this is supernatural, if this is from heaven, if this is from God himself, perhaps Christmas is the answer of all answers. The third thing to notice, so we've, we've talked about where is Christmas? Christmas is an earthly event. It happens here. Where does it come from? It comes from heaven. Who is Christmas for? Who does Christmas come to? Have a look at verse 13, and we'll read this quickly. But the angel said to him, said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Zechariah is told that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a, a baby, a boy, and then we're told a little bit about his life. And his life, what it's shaping up to look like, is like the life of an Old Testament prophet, not drinking, having God's Spirit with him from birth. And we get a big picture of his job description in verse 16. Keep reading with me. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. This is what Old Testament prophets did. They had a ministry of reformation, of reforming people, of bringing people back to the norm, bringing people back to what's most important. And we're told what that specifically looks like in verse 17. We get these two statements. It says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here's the first of the two statements to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the second, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is John's job description, and it's about the kind of people that Christ will be for. He's preparing a people for the Lord, and he says two things about them. The first is, he will, the hearts of the parents will be turned to their children. What's that about? To put it simply... That's about our horizontal relationships 
being made right. A people who are prepared for the message of Christmas. A people who are prepared for Jesus to come. A people who understand that they need help in their horizontal relationships. People looking for peace on earth. The second line there, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to put it simply, is about our relationship with God. People who are ready for the coming of Jesus are people who understand that the world is not as it should be. And we need a connection with God like we don't currently have. The world's broken. People who are prepared for the coming of the Lord are people who can see that the world is not as it should be. In our relationships, but also in a bigger sense. Everything is broken. I've been reading... um, I love the local library. Has anyone discovered the library? The Willoughby Library? It's so good. You can hire books for free. It's amazing. This Christmas, go and get a free present. Go and get a library membership. Uh, I picked up this book. It's, It's Leo Tolstoy's A Confession. It's his reflections on how he became a Christian, a follower of God. And he talks in here about experiencing a world that's broken. He goes to Paris and he watches executions and he thinks this can't be the result of progress in our world. There's no theory that can justify this. And then he goes through his younger brother's death. Listen to this. He says, he was an intelligent, kind-hearted, serious man who became ill when he was young, suffered for over a year and died in torment without having understood why he had lived, and still less why he was dying. No theories could provide the answers to these questions, either for him or for me, during his slow and tortuous death. Tolstoy watches the death of his younger brother and he realises this is not the way the world is meant to be. And... That's another way of saying he's he's looking, his heart is aching for something big in our world, for the renewal of our world, for something to be made right, for the whole world to be made right. Christmas is for people who have a heartache like that. Christmas is for people who desire peace on earth. Christmas, those who get the most out of Christmas are those who desire something big to happen. Peace on earth, peace with God. That's what's on offer at Christmas. You can get something out of Christmas if you're in it for the pleasures of food, of family. But you can get even more if you've got big questions about your world, if you're seeking big answers. The fourth thing to notice is what Christmas is all about. What is Christmas all about? And we've begun to talk about it. But there's a hint right in the last little bit of this passage where Elizabeth responds to her miraculous pregnancy. Have a look at verse 23. When his time of service was completed, Zechariah, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and has taken away my disgrace among the people. 
You know, a good question to ask about this whole story would be, what did Zachariah pray for? What was Zachariah's and Elizabeth's prayer? What were they praying for? And what prayer got answered? That's what the angel says. Your prayer has been heard. What were they praying for? You know, I imagine the first thing we think of is to have a son. That's the problem in the narrative, isn't it? That's the thing that needs to be overcome. They're both they're barren. They can't conceive. And they're very old. And the first thing the angel says to them after your prayer has been heard in verse 13 is, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. But most commentators point out that because of Zechariah's shock when the angel you know, says you're going to have a son, because of his shock and his disbelief, because of their age as well, it means he, he was probably not praying for that. That prayer had probably died many years ago. But there in the temple, with all God's people on this particular occasion, with the political and social context that we've talked about a little bit, under the, the Jews under the oppression of the Roman people, and with all their great promises behind them, all of those expectations that they're waiting for, as a priest on duty, he's probably praying for the redemption of Israel. He's probably praying that people would come back to God. That's what he's probably praying for. And God does answer that prayer in the sending of his own son, Jesus. And we see his forerunner come in the birth of John. So God does answer that big prayer, and that's where Luke's gospel is going to go. But this final scene where we have Elizabeth, you know, at home, I imagine on bed, climbing, climbing into bed at night, we hear her thoughts. And it makes me rethink all of this narrative because of the significance Luke gives to her comments. You know, why are we still hearing about Zachariah and Elizabeth? We've heard about John and we're about to hear about Jesus. Why do we need to hear Elizabeth's comments? Luke doesn't need to use them. He doesn't need to write them in. Why do we hear them? Because this is what Christmas is all about. This moment is a kind of ripple effect of, of what Christmas is all about. It's a ripple effect of the coming of Jesus, of the good news that Gabriel has announced. Because what Jesus comes to do in his life, his death, and his resurrection offers the whole world a reversal of their situation. For all of us, it offers a reversal of our lives. It offers the removal of disgrace and the giving of grace. This shows us that the curse is being undone. The curse is lifted. This is just one example of that, a moment of that. It's showing us the far-reaching effects of God's good news and the far-reaching effects of His power already to transform our world and our lives to make them what they should be, all that they can be. And so that's what's happening at Christmas, the removal of disgrace with the coming of grace. So the Christmas message is that Christ came into our world and he came to Israel, a people prepared. But the message doesn't stop there. 
The message says he will come again. He will come again to our world from heaven to a people prepared from every nation, tribe and tongue to bring grace where there has been disgrace. So how will you prepare for it? How will you prepare not just for Christmas this year but for the second Christmas when Christ comes again? How will you prepare for the second Advent? I've got a few thoughts for you from this passage on how you can prepare this Christmas for the ultimate Christmas, the coming again of Christ. And I've got an acronym for you. Uh, I imagine many of you have been wrapping presents in preparation. Yes? Anyone? Been wrapping, got the present gift? Yep. The word is wrap. W-R-A-P. Here's how you're going to prepare for Christmas this year. The first letter is W. W. You're going to wait. The first way in which you prepare is that you wait. Zechariah and Elizabeth and God's people in this narrative, they are waiting in this story. They're waiting for God to fulfill the promise of his coming. We must wait too. What do I mean by that? Well, at Christmas, I think at this time of the year, it's very easy to get caught up in all the hype. And to think that these moments, this drinks event, this party, this time with family, this time with friends, this meal, these moments that are so precious, we think this is what it's all about. And we rest on them everything. And we, we make so much of them to the extent that we ask more of those moments than what they can actually give us. We try to find some sense of peace and joy in them. Rather, we need to remember that these meals, these times with friends and family, these are good things, gifts from God that He's given us, but they're small reflections of a greater banquet to come, a greater fe feast to have, a greater time with friends and family, with God's friends and family, that we will enjoy with Him one day forever. And so we wait. We treat these good times as reflections of great times to come. R, W, we wait, R, righteous living. We live rightly. Did you notice, it may have struck you like it did me, Zachariah and Elizabeth are described as righteous and blameless. It's interesting to note that that way of life is a possibility. It's a possibility for us. It does not mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean they're sinless. It doesn't mean we're sinless. But it does mean there is such a way in which we can live our lives today that can be described as righteous, holy, obedient to God. That's how we prepare for Christ's second coming. We live now expressing in the way that we live that we want to be a part of His kingdom come. We live now in accordance with the future. That's the way that we say we want to be who you're making us to be. We want to be a part of your kingdom. And at Christmas, there's a particular opportunity to live differently to the world. In a time, perhaps, when we're tempted to overindulge, to spend a lot of time, money, and effort and energy on ourselves or on other things, this should cause us, their picture of righteous living should cause us 
to think about how we can live in such a way that is set apart. So righteous living. A is for end. That's easy. Wait. Live righteously. R. A is for end. And pray. P. P is for prayer. What's remarkable to me about this story is that this is the beginning of the greatest event in human history. And how does it start? With a man's prayer being heard. Of course, his prayer aligns with what God is up to in the world, but God decides to use his prayer. Last week, Chris began his sermon with that example of that sign on the London school bus that said, there probably isn't a God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. I want to end my sermon today with the opposite proposition. If there is a God, and you know that he answers prayers, because that's what's happening in this story, you know he hears your prayers, then how will that change your prayers this Christmas? How will that change what you will pray for? I think that just about wraps things up. Yeah. Christmas is the start of something big in our world, for our world, from heaven, from God himself. And it's for you and me, for those who are waiting for something big, for those who ache for peace on earth and peace with God. Christmas is about him giving us grace where there has been disgrace. So, how will you prepare for when Christ comes to complete what he began at Christmas? How will you prepare? Wait, live rightly, and pray. And be a people prepared. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, come again. And as we wait, prepare us for your kingdom and for all the glory that it holds out. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you.